Welcome to Conversations with Toy, a blogcast tackling life one episode at a time. This is the time to air out life's craziest moments. This space is all about speaking about life's hang-ups and ways in which we can leave better than when we started. Topics are all about ways we can find space to be better in life, love, mental space and health. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you. I don't know where you may be on this Friday. I know I say this every single time. Again, welcome back to season two. This is episode two. And I always say that your Fridays could be on the level of, thank God it's Friday. You might have had a strong week. You might have had a crazy week. You might have felt like this week was the slowest week on the planet. But whatever you sit at, no matter what you're doing when you're listening to this, Happy Friday or whatever day you're listening to this. Happy day to you too as well. So let me just say, I'm going to give my big public service announcement before we begin today's topics. And that is that we are 25 days into the election. And I know some people are so sick and tired of hearing that. But the reality of it is, is that that is where we are. And we must take full advantage of the situation and making sure that we are registered to vote. There are some deadlines that have already passed. And so I'm going to do everything in my power to try to get everybody as much as I can to be registered to vote. And if I could, I would put everybody, you know, get everybody online, put everybody in a caravan, whatever had to be done just to make sure that we get people registered. It's extremely important. Every election should be very important. I don't look at presidential versus others as any different. I think every election, we need to always exercise our right to vote because there's so many people who, especially for Um, black and African-American people who have not always had the opportunity to vote. Women, you should be out here voting. You have not always had the opportunity to vote. This used to be only for white males who were homeowners. So I need everybody to see the importance, the importance of voting, the importance of casting your vote, making your voice heard, the importance of helping your friends and your family vote. If you have not had at least one voting conversation with one of your friends, do me a favor this weekend, have that conversation And let's be clear, if you don't feel comfortable debating who you're going to vote, because that's personal, please make sure you at least had a PSA and let people know it's be registered to vote. As much as I have always been about great content on my social media platforms, as much as I have, you know, been aligned with some amazing companies, which also means great products, it is equally as important, if not even more important for me to make sure that I use my platforms to make sure that I spread the word. Not that you have not heard that it's time to vote. And maybe again, maybe you're sick of hearing it, but this is important. And so I need everybody to under the sound of my voice to check even if you think that you're registered, even think even if you think that everything is okay, it does not hurt to do a triple double check just to be sure that everything is ready to go, that you understand the laws of your state, that you know what you need to have when you go to the polls, and that you have everything as a backup to a backup. Have a plan in place. Like if you don't have a plan, you need to get a plan. What happens if the lines are too long and you don't feel like staying there? Do you have like a portable chair you can bring? Do you have snacks that you can bring? Whatever you need to have with you, make sure that you have that because this is important not to miss. If you can vote early, I would strongly encourage you to do so. And again, if you can vote by mail, I would strongly encourage you to do so. I'm personally voting by mail. 
And I want you to be sure that when you do vote by mail, there are two envelopes. Make sure you fill and complete and seal both envelopes. Make sure you sign it. Make sure you have everything completely correct and use the correct color of pen. Don't be in there with no red pen and all this other carrying on. Make sure you have everything correctly. Read your instructions. If you can't read well, get someone to read for you, but get it together. If you have a bunch of people who you know have mail-in ballots and you want to scoop theirs up and make sure that you take theirs to the post office or to your electrical, electrical, Jesus, your uh, electric. Why do I keep saying electric? It's going to be one of them Fridays um, to where you can send it off to, to have your ballot counted. Please do so. Gather them up. Gather your friends together. If you can gather for brunches and you can gather for drinks and you can gather for all kinds of wonderful things, you can gather together to vote. Okay? So that's my PSA. Moving right along. Tomorrow is Mental Health Awareness Day. And I know that a lot of times we get tired of hearing about mental health, which I don't understand. How are we getting tired about mental health? You know, there used to be a time, a point in time where people couldn't talk openly about it. And some people to this day struggle with having that conversation because in having that conversation, it, some people feel extremely vulnerable. Some people feel extremely weak. Some people feel that it's a sign that they're not put together, that they there's something wrong with them when reality it's not. But we're going to talk about that because listen, we all have our thought processes about what we feel what we should be thinking about. And you know, with mental health, it's literally not as it's not a cut and paste situation. Every single person has the ability to struggle differently. Everybody's journey with their mental health is completely different from the next person. What I may think is my way of coping may not be your way of coping. So I know I said last week that we were going to bring my husband on this week, but this is important. And so I'm going to push his episode our episode next week. Now, today's topic is going to be about what happens when you feel like your mental health is on the spotlight. How do you navigate in the same circles of people who have may have seen you at your worst? Now I can talk about me because that's, hey, I can talk about me because I'd rather for me to come and tell you my story before somebody puts their little flavor on it. When I so my blog, again, I say this all the time because I want it to be very clear. It's a part of my story and we all have a story to tell. And sometimes we don't share our story because we're embarrassed or we feel that the perception of how we will be perceived. A lot of a lot of things has to do with our perception or how we believe somebody else is going to perceive us or receive us. So when I started off, when I had the idea of starting my blog, um, this November will make it six years. When I went to other people, you know, you start sharing your story like I, I want to start a blog. I want to be able to do this. I want to do that. This was my idea six years ago and I knew nothing, nothing about it. I knew that I had a story. I knew I wanted to share it and I knew that I want I love to write. Those are the three things I knew. Now how to start to do it on the website. I didn't know anything about that. I didn't know anything about photography. I didn't know anything about lighting. When I first started out, if you go back to those very baby years the very first couple of months I didn't even add high quality pictures I would just take memes and things I would see on the internet and that would be the picture I would never have any picture with myself I would never have any pictures like with my family it was exclusively just the different thoughts and ideas I would find a meme and I would slap it on there but then I realized after much coaching and can we talk about people who are coachable yes being coachable receiving instructions receiving 
constructive criticism has helped me along the way and reliving through other people when they say you know this is the pitfalls follow that when I first started I was told that I shouldn't share that very personal story about what I'm going to talk about today because people would then look at me as non-credible weak not strong enough to be an authority in this blogging space and for a while I was just like listen this is what it's going to be but I'm glad that I did that because it gave me the foundation because it's I know who I am. I know what I've been through. I know my triggers. I know the things that I go through. And the when I feel like I'm overwhelmed and when I'm feeling like I can't make it one more step, I can't take it one more day, I can't take it one more hour, I am well equipped for the most part to deal with. And I also have a partner who is well equipped to understand my triggers and understands what I need and to give me my space when I need it and to be there when I need him. And that's important, but it, was, it it wasn't always like that. So we're going to talk about that as well. When I had my first child, I did not in that time feel as if I had any postpartum. I did feel triggered. I felt triggered because I felt overwhelmed like normal moms do when you had this overwhelming feeling about what it is about your future of your child. How are you going to take care of this child? How are you going to navigate life? My situation was extremely unique. My daughter was born six weeks early. She was in the NICU. She was extremely sick for the first year, maybe first two years. So I was in and out the hospital a lot. I didn't have a lot of time to tap into for how I feel. I didn't have enough time to tap into, you know, any issues with postpartum because of my life was on go. However, what I will say is that I have a high function of anxiety and stress so I can deal with stress and high functioning um, anxiety and it looks like I'm on point it makes me look like I'm all together it makes me look like I'm very organized it makes me feel like I'm all these different things but in the background of all of those things I was struggling but just not in the way that I struggled years later when I moved here to Philadelphia and it would be 10 years this February I'm so happy about that when I first moved here to Philadelphia I was going through a lot of different changes I had um, that was during the crisis, the financial crisis. I had um, gotten laid off from my job as several, a lot of us, hundreds of us from our job had gotten laid off. So here I was with this sick baby. I just lost my job. I'm on, on, on unemployment for the first time ever in life. I've been working since 16, 17 years old. And I have this sick child who I was running in and out the doctors and hospitals with every other day. I used to have clothes packed in a bag prepared for the days I would have to stay at the hospital it was crazy um shout out to my support systems during that time because let me tell you that was crazy and here I am moving to Philadelphia so I've moved from a small town to a large city I've lost my job I have a sick child and I had just gotten engaged months before my move so I had a lot of new things happening at one time if we want to add salt to the fire I then found out I was pregnant with my second child. Now, hindsight, had I been doing the things that people should have been doing to protect themselves from not having children, whether I was with the love of my life or not, I might have been a little, things would have been a little bit different, but I did not. And so I was pregnant with my second child. So now I have a baby in my belly, a toddler at my legs, moved to a different city with no job and a sick child. talk about being overwhelmed so because my first pregnancy I had preeclampsia and I had to deliver her early and I wasn't able to keep down um anything like when I say anything I mean absolutely anything if I drank a sip of water it was going to come up so much 
that I had to have an IV stuck to me, literally to me. And I had a nurse that would come out every single day and she would, you know, check the site and everything else. I mean, I had to go to work with this portable IV just to keep some type of fluid in my body, just so I could do whatever I had to do to keep my oldest child alive. And so when I got to the second pregnancy, I did have um, this morning sickness. It didn't last like it did the whole pregnancy with the first child. It only lasts for the first, I want to say two months. I finally got to the point where I could eat. And so I overcompensated. I ate everything that was nailed down to the floor. And I was like, I'm not going to have a child that's four pounds at birth. I'm not going to have a child that's born early. I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to do everything I possibly can. And that stress of trying to do everything I possibly could to keep this child alive caused me to just wallow in a lot of stress and anxiety that I had no time to tap into that were probably there with the first child just didn't have the mental space to even tap into it by the time I had my son I was overwhelmed completely because I'm in a different space I'm not in my own space I am in a new place I wasn't making friends well because I'm pregnant like I'm not going to go out because I don't feel well and then I don't know anybody here and I'm here with my fiance and his family and I want to keep going back and forth to my family's house which I was doing I was going back and forth two hours at a time every weekend to visit my family my friends never really establishing myself here in Philadelphia which caused again a lot of stress so by the time I had my son I didn't realize that I was going through postpartum I didn't realize I was going through postpartum until about I want to say my son might have been four months old. And when I say I was going through it, I mean, I was going through it to the point where I was arguing, which I had never done before. I was never I'm not the type of mom that likes to do too much arguing or yelling in front of the kids. And I found myself like almost going to blows with my fiance. Thank God for him having patience. And he didn't retaliate against me or anything like that. But even he didn't even know what it was. I, I didn't know what it was. He didn't know what it was. He just assumed and chalked it up to, you know, she's doing whatever she's doing. It just wasn't a good environment. And so I think the red light came on when we were in the midst of this fight. And I, the first thing that came out of my mouth as a defense was like, I'm going to call the police on you. Now, given the fact that we're in the times that we're in now, I probably would have never, you know, I would have never even, first of all, I never even wanted to call the police on him, but it was just my way of getting his attention. And then I did this in front of a friend. And today's topic is what do you do when you people see you at your worst like how do you feel how do you maneuver past that thought process of people seeing me at my absolute worst like screaming crying having almost basically a nervous breakdown not even knowing what it was eventually one of my friends the same friend was like hey do you you may want to talk to somebody and get some help and it was at that moment where I started my first um, time in therapy that is when I got my first therapist. And so as I'm navigating my health, as I'm navigating my space and my postpartum, you know, at first I thought it was just postpartum. I ended up getting diagnosed and I have no shame about talking about my own personal diagnosis at all. So for anybody that's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe she would say that. You can't hold shame for me personally as something that I feel like I thrive in because everybody has something that they're dealing with. And I rather for me just be able to speak it and help somebody else get through it, especially on a day like to, tomorrow when it's Mental Health Awareness Day. I rather for me to be authentic and just say, listen, this is what it is. So what I thought was going to be when I discovered that I was done with postpartum, that was my first diagnosis. After time, we realized that my therapist had diagnosed me with episodic depression. So for me, that means that when something happens, it could be extremely small, it could be extremely big. 
if it mimics something that makes me feel or goes back to something that I've dealt with, like in my past, maybe my childhood or young adulthood or, or early 20s, whatever the time that it takes me back to, it will cause me to immediately get depressed. And for me, you know, a lot of people's depression looks so much differently. You know, some people lay in the bed and they can't get up. Some people don't take showers. Some people are not as active as they once were. For me, my anger was one of my biggest indication. And a lot of people don't realize that that is and not that you just because you're an angry person, but sometimes the way that you're feeling and the and the way that you're being triggered comes off as this angry person. And so for me, that's what it was. And so this episodic depression, along with postpartum depression, I was almost at the borderline of like, there's like a psychosis of postpartum depression. But I was grateful. I never had any desire at all to hurt or harm my children whatsoever. Like that never crossed my mind. It was never they kept, you know, they always ask you that. Do you feel like you're going to harm your children? Do you feel like you're going to harm others? Do you feel like you're going to harm yourself? I never went that far into my feelings, but my feelings were still intense. The way that I was feeling, the way that my mind was perceiving things was extremely and I can't even listen. The thought process, even going back to that mindset, it's crazy. But yeah, it was really intense. And even to this day, I still deal with anxiety. I still deal with some type of, you know, with the episodic depression. I am more aware of it. But knowing that other people knew about how I was dealing with it and they saw the outburst. Or like if my husband had had conversations where he might have been confiding with a friend and then they knew. And at the time I had to take medication. Like I, it was it was like pretty much almost non-negotiable. Like I had options and choices, but it was like, listen, you need this. And feeling embarrassed. I want to say I felt embarrassed, not because I was receiving help, but because of I felt like what was other people thinking? Like what is going to happen if somebody knew? And the very small amount of people that I did confide in, I'm not going to say that they weren't helpful, but I will say they weren't helpful. Like, I guess I want to, that's what it is. That's what it was. Because people's perception, like, you know, especially in the black community, it's like, oh, you know, what do you need therapy for? Or girl, ain't it wrong with you? Or, you know, it's, it was such a hard time. It was such a hard time because I did everything that everybody talks about doing. I confided in people and people were just not equipped they were not equipped to handle that. They could not help me. There was nothing of kindness that was shown. There was no understanding that was shown because a lot of times people just do when they don't understand what you're going through. What can they do? They can't help you. And so my thought processes were all wrapped up into my healing, my ups and downs, my fluctuations of mindsets, my mood swings, all of these different things. But then my whole mindset began to be like, what happens when people find out? Like, I'm not going to be who they perceived me to be. Like I'm not showing them who I want them to see. I'm not, they're not seeing the representative of me that I want them to see. It's a very vulnerable place to be at your lowest moment. And you can be at your lowest moment for various reasons, but to feel like you're naked and everybody can see is an embarrassing moment. It was very revealing. Um, To this day, it's, it's, I don't, even though I talk about it very openly on my blog and obviously now on the podcast, I don't have any shame by it, but I still remember some of the things that people were saying about when I was going through those moments, right? Because sometimes when you're going through a mental um, health issue, sometimes it's just your perception of something. But because you're in a mental health posi- you know, disposition, some people will make you feel as if what you're not feeling is not true too. There's always some truth and validity to what you're feeling. 
It's your perception of how you deal with it that makes it can make or break it. So I felt very naked. I felt very raw that people were going to justify and say that I was crazy. Um, I wasn't stable. I even had somebody say, oh, you know, what if they take your kids? And so that thought process, like, oh, my God, my kids can be taken from me because I'm not well. Uh, But the thing about it was, I can see that now, was that I was strong enough to, one, go get the help. I was strong enough that in the environment that I was in where everybody seemed the perception of everybody turning their back on me the perception of feeling like everybody had deserted me or felt like they were looking down at me or judging me when reality is that folks was just doing whatever it is they were doing for their own lives. I was still thriving in those moments. So if you're a person that has gone through something like that and you're thinking to yourself, oh my God, everybody's looking at me, everybody's thinking certain things. Remember, even at those moments, you are thriving because if you have the wherewith to say, okay, I need to go get help. And then you make the steps to do it. You're already stronger than you already think you are. Period. This is why when my friends come to me, first of all, I'm the very first person to one, honor my friendships and my friends by being a safe place. My friends know they can come and tell me anything as long as it's not causing harm to themselves or anybody else that I will be there to support them even in their lowest moments because I remember what it felt like. What it felt like. Key word is what it felt like when I felt like I was alone. So no friend of mine, past or present, will ever feel like I betrayed them in in how they may have confided in me about their mental health issue. It won't ever happen. That's number one. But that's because I'm at a place where I recognize my own triggers and recognizing your triggers is a hard thing. When I first started going to therapy, I had to rely on my therapist to help me to basically separate my thoughts and my feelings to what reality was and what I needed to do with it. So I relied heavily on the therapist. But one thing about a good therapist is that they equip you. They see that you're relying on them and then they show you the way so that you can rely on yourself. So she gave me the skill set so that I could rely back on myself to get that confidence that I could because I've always been a very good judge of people. Like even as a kid, my daughter, my youngest, she can read people like nobody, but she, I feel like she gets that skill set from me. And I haven't been off about a lot of people, like even people who package themselves very well, I can read them very, very well. And so I feel like I got my strength back to go back to that time where I can read people and I could tell something is not right with somebody. Like I don't align myself to many people. And so when I feel like something is coming back to me now, I'll be like, I trust my instinct. But when you are feeling like people have seen you at your worst, it is the strangest feeling. It's lonely. I felt very alone. I felt alone during that period because nobody was understanding me, but I didn't even understand me. And one thing I will say about if you're in a marriage or a committed relationship, a lot of the things that I kept trying to accuse my, um, I think it was my fiance at the time, my now husband, was that he wasn't doing enough. He wasn't saying the right thing. Now, let's get it. Let's not get this twisted. There's a lot of things that he could have gone back and changed. And we have had that conversation privately. He and I have had that conversation about where the mark was missed. Right. So I don't need to hash that out here. But what I will say, the other flip to that is I put so much pressure on what it was for him to fix. There is no way that you can fix another person. 
Like you can love a person and you could want something the best for them, but you cannot fix another person. So where I was putting this undue pressure on him was, why haven't you fixed me? You should just know what I'm going through and you should just be able to understand. When I think about that now, because I'm healing or I'm because you never really just heal like you, you go through healing and it's up and down, but you just have better skill sets and you know where to, to get yourself back in line. When I think about that moments, those moments where I made it his responsibility to come in and, you know, quote unquote, fix me. It was because it was easier for me to throw him underneath the bus and say it was something he didn't do, something he didn't say, than for me to put the work in to figure out what it is that I needed to fix for myself. Easy. He said something to me that triggered me. When reality was that what he said just reminded me of something else that had happened. It's not his responsibility to carry me. Even now, even though he is my husband, Even though he is supposed to be supportive, there is a difference between supporting someone and carrying them to the point where they're not responsible for carrying themselves. Yes, every relationship, you're going to have times when somebody is going to have to come in and carry you at those moments. But see, there's a difference between carrying somebody at a moment of their lowness where you're there for them and you're there to see them through until they can see for themselves. But if you get the wrong person like myself, who at that time felt like it was his job to get me through those moments and then continue carrying me, that's not one and the same thing. It's just not. I was embarrassed beyond belief, having one of these flare ups and one of these moments and one of these outbursts and one of these um, dangerous, really dangerous moments where I. I mean, I could, I could see it happening as it was happening, almost if like a movie, like a movie scene. You're like, like the movie ghost, like you see yourself happen. It's happening, it's happening, and you could see it happening. Like I could see it play out, and sometimes I wonder, did I over, did I see myself doing it to the point where I willed it to happen? Maybe, maybe not, but I know I would see it happening or about to happen, and then I would just give into that. I would never check my trigger. I would just delve right into it. And then it would take weeks. A lot of people don't understand. For me, it took weeks. Like I would have these high moments and everybody would be like, oh my gosh, you know, and listen, high functioning anxiety and depressiveness. I never missed a beat as a mother. My kids were everywhere they needed to be. We still had matching outfits. We had still had matching everything. We still had our holiday stuff going on. We still had all these things going on while I'm in the midst of a trigger. So I was able to do what I had to do as a mom, but I wasn't able to do what I needed to do for myself. And let me explain something to you. What I've learned about that was that I'm a happier person when I can take care of me. Even to this day, there are times when I have to tell my husband, listen, I, I gotta, I gotta time out, especially now because of the way that my my blog and my business have starting to take up. And now, I'm, you know, I'm sending out invoices now. I'm getting them coins together. I am at a point now where I'm like, I can't do that anymore. Like if I'm attached to a project and it's something that I'm volunteering to do, but something is like too much for me, I will fall back without hesitation. But that's now. I will ask and say, listen, I can't do no more. I need to take a nap. That's now. Hey, I need some time to myself. That's now. And not also feel guilty about that. That's now. Then it was not having a life established for myself. 
being jealous of my husband because I felt like he had this life because I was still floundering from not being able to settle here in Philadelphia. Those things were not his fault. I had no, I literally put no effort into the things that I said I wanted. My husband was a type of husband. And he's still the type of husband that if I'm looking at something and I say, I really want that. If it's within his power, within reason, he's going to do it. He's going to get it. He's going to figure it out. But you can't buy yourself out of mental health issues. If I wanted a certain brand of purse, a certain brand of this, that, I mean, there was moments, months, weeks, years where I would have his ATM card so hard and my own, his and mine, where he wouldn't even have it. Like he would never even have his debit card. I would just have his and I would have mine too. So there was never a lack of anything of the things that I wanted. But you can't purchase people out of their mental health issues. You can give a person what they think they want. You can be a sounding board. You can do all kinds of things. But it took work. Work on my part. Work on my part to get myself healthy enough to know when I should fall back. Or to recognize when a trigger is happening. I can always tell by a certain conversation, the word choices that are about to be used, that I need to separate myself out of this conversation. And what I've been doing to take accountability for myself first is if somebody brings up something to me and my first thought is to say, well, what about you? I sit there and I let that what about me sit within my spirit, which means instead of me saying or coming at the person, or let's say like, and I can use my husband because he's good with this, but if I if he's telling me about something that I need to fix and my first question is to throw something back at him, I stop myself from throwing it back at him and just sit there and be mad and wallow myself through and let myself get through and take in what he's saying and try to listen to whatever it is that he's saying, even if my face is tore up, because that's 99 percent of the time. Even if I don't like the word choices that are used, I will sit there and figure out where I do I need to fix myself because a lot of times when we throw stuff back at other people is because we don't want to do with us. So that's one of the things I learned to listen first and react second. Now, I am the type of person that's still a very reactive person. So when it comes to certain things, sometimes I react and then it's kind of like a catch, like it kind of catches itself. Like a delayed reaction. And so I'll go to react and I'll be like, wait, pull yourself back, pull yourself back. Being by yourself, even when you're in a room full of people, is the loneliest thing. Feeling like your mental health is like you're the only person in the world that's actually going through that. That's how it feels. It feels like no one else is going through it. And even if you know people are, you're like, you know, ain't nobody going through it like me. Ain't nobody feeling this like me. No one else is going to feel it but you. Because you're in your body and your skin. And you see the things you like about yourself. And you see the things you don't like about yourself. And they mesh all the time. And God forbid, throw some salt on somebody else trying to tell you about how you really are. You ain't going to be, nine times out of ten, you ain't going to be ready to receive that message. So for me, I had to get to the point where I'm like, listen, I've been embarrassed so many times in my life. I've fallen at different places that were like all eyes on me type situation. Um, what I talked about last week about the girl who tried to call me out at an event, I was floored and embarrassed and felt like everybody could see me when reality was, I was embarrassed. I was pricked. I was, I didn't like it, but people probably weren't full eyes on me. It's it just that perception. So I thought about the worst situation mentally that I felt like I've had 
the times where I couldn't control myself or stop myself from crying or the times where I kept falling asleep or, you know, and just sleeping, 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 sleeping because you're trying to avoid life. So I had to tell myself, if I can get through those types of embarrassing moments, me being open and vulnerable is embarrassing, but it's not the end all be all. But it took years of counseling. I, I went to counseling or therapy for various reasons. The very beset, the first set of counseling was for postpartum. And as I began to get healthier and I was on medication, I think I was on medication, I want to say for a year, maybe like a strong couple months to a year. And I didn't always like the way that I felt, but I worked through it because I knew it was important for me to stay connected and to wean myself off correctly. I don't even know what it would I would be looking like if I was already on a moment of psychotic break to be sitting over here trying to wean myself through medication. But I did what I had to do for myself and eventually the medication became no longer needed. And then I had a little bit of a break and then I went back to counseling because I was like, you know what, I really got to get it together because there's certain things that will just remind me of certain situations. And I was just like, you know what, I got to get counseling for that too. I got to go get therapy. Then my husband and I went to therapy. I felt like, and really out of reality, I think the marriage counseling that we went through was very close to the the um, postpartum. But I'm kind of glad that it worked that way because it allowed me to be able to deal with me and then deal with my marriage because it was easier for me to deal with my marriage while I was dealing with myself. If we would have went to marriage counseling before I was going to postpartum depression counseling or therapy, I know for a fact we wouldn't have made it. We would not have made it. Even though I knew that my husband for more than 12, 13 years at the time, we've known each other now for over 20. I don't think we would have married. We, would, we wouldn't be married. And I know that's like horrible to say because it's like, why could you say that so freaky? But listen, if I could just show you a crystal ball and I could show you a recording of what we were going through, it was not pretty. Life is always about having people do the work and I had to be willing to do the work. And I also had to be willing to say I was wrong. Now, I'm always the one that seems like I'm always apologizing, but I'm always the one doing stuff. Right. And so when you get to the point where you feel like you're always apologizing, even that gets very tiring. Like, why are you always sorry? Why are you always doing something? Why are you always feeling like you're the one who has to apologize first? Why are you always, you know, it just becomes a always, you know, why me? Why me? People ask me, why do I celebrate national holidays? If you follow me, especially like on my personal Facebook and such and my social media, even my social media, like even my blog, even my social media, a lot of times I celebrate national holidays. And the reason is because there's something literally every single day that we could be celebrating. There's something every single day that we can be thankful for, that we can be grateful for. And for somebody who was so in depth to being so negative, I need that same death of joy to keep myself going. So birthdays are really big for me now. Holidays are really big for me. The expression of holidays and love and joy is, is very big for me. It keeps me completely grounded. While I always continue to thrive because when COVID hit, I honestly was like prepared for like the absolute worst. It's only by the grace of God and the skill sets that I've learned that I was able to get through that. But there, listen, when I say get through it, we're still in it. Some days have been great. 
there have been other days like this is the reason why if you follow my blog I had to get a weighted blanket I had to get a sound machine I had to get um, I had to start wearing a mask on my eyes to help me to go to sleep because that anxiety that I was feeling during the the, the, the thick of the moments of COVID were intense like I kept feeling like there were days like I'm like oh my god what if I go to the grocery store I'm gonna kill my kids two of my kids have asthma so they're already predisposed I mean my doctor actually called me personally was like this is what I want you to do with these kids and she she did not wait for me to come in to make an appointment she called me and was like this is what you got to do so every little step that I took made me feel like everything that I was going to do was going to hurt them in some way. That's scary. That's that anxiety too. When I had, I think, so my grandparents have four children, six children, and almost four out of the six kids got it and they got it. So every time the phone rang, the, the text messages came. These are people that I know closely to me. I've known from my whole life. They're getting COVID. So the up and down strings of, you know, are they going to be okay? Or how are they doing? Are they going to make it? What's going to happen? was stressful. And so I would find myself crying. I would find myself upset. I would find myself struggling. And I would find myself having to journal more. I would find myself having to use musical therapy. I would find myself having to do different things. Again, I had to bring every tactic that I learned from every therapist that I've had to get me through because it was scary. It's still a little unsettling because, you know, everybody's talking about a second wave. And I'm like, a second wave? Oh, God. Mental health is nothing to be ashamed of. Although, let's be real. I can tell you that. But I know you feel it. If you're dealing with it, you feel it. Because it's like, I know you're know, you know you're not supposed to be ashamed. You know that there are other people going through it. You know that even if people's experiences are different, you know that there are other people there. But in the thick of it, when you can't see for yourself, when you can't hear for yourself, when you can't feel for yourself, how do you see through that? For me, that embarrassment of knowing that there were other people who could have possibly laughed at me, who probably had private conversations about me, who probably talked about and said everything about me, but being a child of God, when other people were like, look, she's she's less than a mom because she's out here doing this and doing that. When people think that they have something on you, even if you're in the middle of a health crisis, they will and they can. And I'm going to say this one more time. They will use it against you. As much as I was perceiving the situation, there were times in the in the midst of my perception that people were doing that. To this day, there's certain people that I don't. My spirit don't interact with them because I know they know too much about me as far as seeing me at my lowest moments or in or hearing about my lowest moments and feeling like they're always judging me. But this is the thing as I'm, as I'm getting a little older, I mean, I'm almost about to be 40, 40 next year. And the thought process is, listen, as many embarrassment moments as I've had, if they know that I had whatever system going on, I'm going to tell it before you can tell it, sis, you ain't got to worry about it. I'm going to tell it because it's my story to be told. If somebody knew or saw that I was having a moment, hey, jump in the line and, and get in the, in the embarrassment train because I'm going to survive. If I can survive, if I can survive almost losing my family, if I can survive feeling like I was at the bottom of the pool and I couldn't swim or I felt like I couldn't breathe. And again, this is what I'm talking about, how you feel like you feel like you're at the bottom of the pool. And there's no one to come and rescue you. 
You cannot breathe and you'll never get to the surface. That's how sometimes the intensity of mental health can feel. But then I think about the fact that I still got up. I somehow rise to the top. Somehow I floated. Sometimes somebody, it felt like somebody had brought a little bit of scuba gear, scuba gear and allowed me to breathe for a few moments. And then I went, may have went back into the fight, but I felt like I was getting through it. These are real intense feelings that people who are dealing with mental health issues are feeling. You know, when they start, when I started taking medicine, I started to stop feeling like myself. I felt like somebody else was controlling my body. I didn't feel like I was as, as, as excited about life. I didn't feel like as if I would laugh enough or I wasn't even like in this right capacity because my mindset was in, was in, in essence being altered. It's scary. It's a scary situation. But I say all of that to say, I always ask God to help my mindset to always be that I've always survived the worst of the worst. And if I survived it once, by grace, I'll survive it again. And so that's why I do the things that I love. And I'm not making any apologies about that. If I love something and it makes me feel good about myself and it's not harming somebody else, I'm going to be okay to do that. I love holidays. So if I want to celebrate with a holiday shirt, I'm going to do that. I get people saying all the time, you seem to know about all the holidays. It makes me happy. Blogging and writing makes me happy. So I'm going to do it to the best of my ability because I enjoy it. You know, out of six, almost six years at this point, I could have had complete burnout. Like tired of writing, tired of meeting deadlines, tired of sending invoices, tired of doing all these different things, but I enjoy it. So because I enjoy it and I feel like I do it well, I'm going to continue doing it. Mental health is always something that people choose to laugh at, make fun of, say that it doesn't exist, make light of it. But the reality of it is, is that every last one of you and every last and myself are all dealing with some level of something, some level of pain. Some level of heartache, confusion. And so it's important to do what's best for you when it comes to your healing. And remember, healing is not always just a one and done thing. There are certain things that I know that I got healed of, meaning I have the, the, the skill sets to deal with it. I feel like I'm not grieving the process of what I went through. But I still have moments where I have to find myself to get myself together to gather myself. So the embarrassment that I felt, the pain that I felt, the irritation that I felt, the loneliness that I felt, I know that it's not in vain because it's made me who I am today. I wouldn't even be as mentally strong as I am now. And at the times where I feel like I'm mentally weak, I'm so grateful that I can actually start saying, yes, I don't feel good today. I'm not where I need to be today. I am struggling today. I feel triggered. And I know that it's not going to always fix everything just to speak it, but it definitely makes it feel better when you can speak it for yourself. So being able to just know that I need to do whatever it is I need to do for myself. One thing that has helped is seeing myself as a full package. Instead of just focusing on my physical, instead of just focusing on my mental, instead of just focusing on my spiritual, 
or emotional. I started seeing myself as a whole package. And I kept saying to myself, you know, when you see a beautiful Christmas package, oftentimes it's not just because of the physical bow and wrap, but a lot of times it has to do with the sentimental feelings, has to do with what's inside of the box. And so I started looking at myself as a complete gift, a gift that the world needs, a gift to my friends when they need me, a gift to my children who need me, a gift to my husband when he's there, and a gift literally to myself. If I would have done anything like, you know, God forbid, committed suicide or had any type of physicality with my mental health issue, what a, it would have taken a lot longer for me to get to the point where I can see myself as a gift. It would have taken away from the essence of maybe what this world may have needed. Who knows? This podcast definitely wouldn't have been birthed. My blog definitely wouldn't have been birthed. And so those are another opportunities for me to express myself and to share that gift. Because when people talk about a creator, you know, everything's about creators and bloggers and influencers. But if you were, if you felt like you were really on this place on this earth to create something, I felt like I can create in the most muddiest of situations. So no matter how depth, depth I've gone to the most extreme things where I failed, those were all meant for a reason. At the moments where I felt like I didn't succeed or people were succeeding before me, it did not feel good. It hurt like hell, but it was for a reason. And I feel like I'm just starting to walk into that reason because I could tell you about a product all day, right? I love it. I love doing that because especially if it's a project that I believe in. First of all, I'm not even going to put no product in front of nobody that I don't believe in. So let's get that all the way together. But beyond that, I know there's another woman listening to this right now. That's feeling the same way I feel extremely overwhelmed, whether she's a mother or not. Feeling like she's the last on the the totem pole. Feeling like no one understands her. No one hears her. She may be crying. She may be upset. She may feel lonely. She may feel confused because she doesn't understand what's going on. And what if this podcast was just for that one person? What if this podcast was for just one person who really was at the point of giving up because they don't see themselves as being a gift, but they now realize that they are even in the muddiest of situation. I'm telling you right now, you are the gift. I was the gift that had to be saved, even if that meant me putting the work in that had to be saved, even if I had to be embarrassed to do so. In the midst of all the embarrassing moments that I've had, it has brought out the best in me because I'm able to see myself for who I really am. That doesn't mean that I don't struggle with it every now and again. That doesn't mean I don't have my days where I have to gather the thoughts, where I have to write the th- journals a thousand and one times. I actually carry, before you know, when the world was open, I used to carry a journal on me at all given times because if I ever felt any type of way, I had to be able to write away, to write right away. I had to be able to put it onto pen and paper because I had to see it for myself I, my plan is to take my journals. I've kept journals since I was 18, probably even before that, maybe even like 16, 15. And my hope is to take every journal and make it into a book. And the reason why is because I need people to understand when you can see that healing, you can see those moments when it's up, you can see those moments when it was down. And then I would see moments when things would repeat. That's why I like reading my journals because I can see when I feel like I've gotten over the hump of something. And then I can read it and say, you're not over it yet. But it gives me hope that I'm on the right tra- track. So that's why I read them over again. I can tell by certain times of the year. Now that I've, because st- I've studied my journals. And now I realize that there are certain times of the year where I go through the certain same cycles. 
And not because I haven't gotten over it, but because they're the same cycles that come to test me every single time. We talk about seasonal depression and it's very real as the days become colder, as the sun becomes less, as you have to hurry up and get home before it gets dark. You can't go out as much as you want and God forbid you add COVID. If you have a friend that's like me that has the same type of personality that you consider them your strong friend, what you should be doing is checking on them by asking certain questions, not asking questions where they can say yes or no. How are you is, you know, it's easy to say, oh, I'm good. I'm fine. Asking them, hey, is there anything that you want to talk about? Is there anything that I can do to help you? Were you feeling um pretty good today all day did you have any moments or times where you felt like you weren't okay these open up questions and open up conversations that allow people to stop giving yes or no questions or answers I should say because the people that you think are strong are usually going through the all kinds of stuff to keep them looking strong like I said I think I realized even as a second grader (laughs) and I go all the way back to second grade because again high level function of anxiety will allow someone to look on point, I was a straight A student all through elementary school, all through junior high school and all through high school. If I go back and I could probably recognize that high level of functioning anxiety, I recognized it in one of my children. I had a conversation with them about this level and this thought process about being perfect. Having this conversation that perfection is a journey and that really, to be honest with you, it's not really perfection that you should go. Excellence and what you want to put out and how you want to be perceived and how you do your work is one thing. But chasing perfection always comes with all kinds of levels of drama and resentment and the shoulda, coulda, wouldas and crying and upsetness and every level of all kinds of emotion that is unnecessary. Some people believe that children are not able to be able to be smart, to know what it is that they're going through. Or when you see a child that's upset, the first thing you want to do is stop them from being upset. I used to tell my kids the same thing I used to hear all the time, fix your face. Now there's some times when they did do to fix their face. But we don't even allow kids to express within reason, with, with respect, how they're feeling. But then they're supposed to grow up to people to be uh, multi-functioning children, to be multi-functioning adults. When you stifle a child from being upset, when they're upset and they're crying or they're mad about something and they can't tell you honestly how they feel, even if it's like I tell my children, even if they're mad at me or they feel like they may get in trouble, I'd rather for you just to tell me. So we try to open the doors for them to communicate that. Because you know what? Just like Shrek would say, it's better out than in. It's really true. People hold so much in because they don't feel like there's ever safe places for them to to be able to speak up. And you know what? Why in the world do you have your home? The home where you're supposed to have peace. The only it's like the one place in the whole world where you're supposed to come home to peace. If your home does not feel like peace, there means something you got to do to change that. I want to open the doors for my children to come and tell me my kids have said, hey, listen, mom, I don't like the way you said that. And you know what? My children are super respectful. They have never gotten into my face to tell me about myself at all. But they will say, I didn't like the way you said that. It made me feel upset. It made me feel sad. Children should be expressing themselves. So how do you think adults supposed to be able to express themselves like that if they're not they're not taught that? How are they supposed to learn how to communicate if they're not taught how to be an effective communicator? 
you don't need to slap and beat your kid just because they said they don't like something that you said. They probably don't like the things that you said. They don't like the package in which you gave it to them. Now, there's a difference when they say they don't want to eat their vegetables. They're just going to have to eat them. But there's a huge difference when they say that you've hurt them and you are saying things that are malicious and your tone is not right. And I know that goes against everything old school, right? But I say this. If my kids can grow up to not have to go to therapy because of anything that I've said or done, then I will feel like I've won. Even if my kids have the worst jobs in America and they're good citizens and they can express themselves, I will feel like I have succeeded as a parent. Like my goals are no longer for them to go to college so that they make me look good. I want them to do the things that make them happy and then to be functioning well in society. And they cannot function well if they cannot feel like they can communicate. They're going to come in this life, no matter what I say and what I do with things that are already on their hearts and minds that they're already going to be geared to deal with. I have been teaching my kids since they could talk as well to learn how to navigate, especially once I started figuring out my own stuff, how to navigate the mental health space. Those That's a skill set that kids need to be able to learn how to navigate that space because they're going to need it. Being embarrassed about what you perceive people to be thinking about you, to be looking at you, to always like, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm always wondering what people think about me as far as when they have physically seen me in my lowest moment. Are they embarrassed? What conversation are they having with other people? You know, there's people that know probably stuff about me that I have probably I would have never have opened up to because they're not just, you know what I mean? Like. That's just the reality of it. People probably know more about your story and about your junk and about your stuff than you could even possibly imagine. Because all it takes is one for one person to tell the story and then somebody else to repeat the story. And then there you go. That's how rumors start. Some things are real and some things are not. One thing is for sure. Let's normalize people expressing themselves. And let's normalize people going through tough times. And sometimes when you're going through tough times, it's not going to always look good. For me, there's been emotional and mental lines drawn in the sand with friendships that I've had that are no longer. Some of that just, you know, I don't believe anything that we lose is, is being lost because of anything that you, that I believe that if you lose something, it's meant to be lost. So there's friendships that I've lost. Or that were no longer serving or that have already served their time. They were there for the season that they needed to be there for. So I try to remember that when I feel like I'm embarrassed by something that somebody may say. Like I've had people try to joke it off. Like remember when you was. <laughs> and I'm looking at them like mm, you have no idea. But go off and laugh. Do your thing. Like do you. Because we all have these moments where we're always going to have to come to ourselves and really have to fix ourselves. Like if you know you're dealing with something and your refusal to fix it, especially if you know to fix it and you won't fix it, it's different when you're stuck in something and you can't get out. But when you know better and you won't fix it, that's a dangerous place to be in. Because all you're doing is waiting for the inevitable. Something is going to pile up on you with your refusal to fix yourself. That's going to make you do it whether you want to do it or not. I rather rather do it willingly, willingly as much as possible. I always simply think about 
what my kids may have thought, you know, even though they were little at the time, I mean, like extremely little, two and under, like, what do they think? Do they even have remember? Do they have memory of that? Do they remember those moments? I can't say if they do or not. But one thing I do know is that if I got out of this one time, and I don't want to say get out of it because it seems like it's like you're getting out of a speeding ticket or something. No, if you've gone through it and you're still here to tell your story and you're still here to mess up for the next time because you're going to mess up, I think this perfectionism has got to stop because this thought process is that you have to be all well put together every single moment of every single day. It's just craziness. Sometimes you have to take a mental health day and say no. Sometimes you got to come off your phone. Sometimes you got to go read a book. Sometimes you got to go see your therapist. Sometimes you got to journal. Sometimes you got to tune people out. Sometimes you got to shut your own thought processes down and your own mental thought processes. You got to shut it down sometime. But we got to normalize the fact that today or tomorrow, I should say for all days for mental health day on Saturday, you know, people have to understand we all have to get to the position where we feel comfortable in our own skin. And I'm getting there every day. So for every person that has seen me at my lowest moments when I've had an outburst, when I've had this mental problem, whatever I've had going on. It is what it is like I cannot go back and change those moments. The only thing I can do is not change for you, not change for anybody else. The only thing I can do is be the best version of myself. People are going to hold grudges against you according to what you have said or what you have done. That is just the laws of consequence. But I love myself enough to continue to push every single day to be the best human that I can possibly be. And by me being as happy as I can be in my own skin makes me a better woman, a better wife, and a better mother. I used to think that I had to do everything to make everybody else feel better. Make sure I'm the best mom for them. Make sure I'm the best wife for him. The best sister, the best sibling for them. But the reality of it is, is that if I learn to be the best version of myself and truly love the skin that I'm in, if I can go to bed at night and truly sleep with peace in my heart, even when I don't feel like things are together or when hell's all breaking loose around me, that peace will literally calm a whole rushing river, a rushing river of emotion, a rushing river of, you know, ups and downs. It will, it will definitely be the calm. So I know that you may be feeling embarrassed or that you feel like it's not normal. You may feel like you're by yourself. You may feel like no one understands you, but you have to understand something. They may not. They may not never. But wouldn't it be a beautiful thing that even in the midst of misunderstanding with other people that you got yourself together and you have the, you're better for it down the line? That's the places that I'm trying to continue to walk in. That's the place where I'm trying to keep my mindset at. Sometimes you have to clear people off your plate and put yourself at the top. You know, when you're in a plane and they tell you to put the oxygen on yourself first, you know, that's a principle. Why do we not understand that? That the principle that we are living in every day is trying to teach us about how to take care of ourselves. But because we keep conditioning ourselves to be a placemat for other people, we're not able to tap into the fact that being yourself and the most authentic person that you can be and the most loving towards your mind. Sometimes we are our own worst enemy. We talk bad about ourselves. We say things about ourselves that we would dare not say to a child. We would dare not say to another person. Watch the things that you say to yourself in the midst of the strongest at the most weakest moments that you're possibly having. Take accountability. 
love on yourself a lot more. Self-care is not about just bubble baths and music, nails and hair salons. Self-care is the ability to put yourself first and realize what you need at any given moment to take care of yourself. And a part of taking care of yourself is your mental health and your mental health truly matters. So do not flounder by yourself because you feel by yourself. It may be a lonely journey, but it's going to be well worth it. Take care of what you need for you. Whatever you need, go and get it. Get it even when you are feeling like no one else even supports the thought process of you even getting it. I've had to walk and do therapy and knew everybody was against it around me. Knew that everybody was like, why are you doing that? That's so stupid. I came out a lot better because of it. And even though I felt lonely, I felt confused, I felt hurt, I felt pain, I felt betrayed. It has made me the strongest person that I could possibly be for right now. Maybe I'll be even more stronger later on. But for right now, it gave me the strength to be who I needed to be. And it will give you the strength to be who you need to be. Your mental health matters. Do not put that as last. Put that as first. You can get yourself anywhere you want to be in different areas of your life if your mental health is right. You can literally be broke, but get yourself together and you could go through the most brokest of moments. I'm talking about that ramen noodle broke moment. That robbing Peter to pay Paul moment. I'm talking about when you had all hell going going crazy in your life. You could still be at perfect peace knowing that your mental health is at the top priority. It doesn't take things. It just takes the will and the love of yourself to push through yourself and push past people's perception because you cannot continue to carry yourself mentally with the back of everybody's mindset of thinking about what everybody's thinking. It's like a a suitcase that becomes too heavy. You're going to end up having to pay more for that extra baggage. Release these people in your life. Release the thought process of what you think people are supposed to be in your life. I had to release my husband at certain points because it wasn't his job to carry me. I couldn't carry that. Listen, I can't carry. I can't pay that extra baggage fee for that. Can't pay that extra baggage fee for how other people in my life that were supposed to love and care about me and all that other stuff. We, as we tell ourselves, the reality of it is, is that if you don't, you're going to pay a higher price. And I'd rather pay. I'd rather just do what I have to do now so I don't have to pay later. You know, you went traveling in the baggage feed. You keep putting stuff in your bag as you want to bring everybody a trinket home. That's what it's like to carry everybody else around you. And not think about yourself. You done brought souvenirs from everybody's house, from everybody's life, from everybody's dump and let everybody dump on you. And then you end up having to pay the baggage fee. Meanwhile, they hop on a plane with their little uh, carry on and they go on with their life. Drop them people, let them buy their own stuff, let them travel sometimes to go get the things that they need to get. While you do the things that you have to do to get what you have to get. So I know that's a little heavy for Friday. You still can grab your glass of wine. You still can have yourself a good weekend. I know I plan to. We have a lot of plans this weekend. It's going to be a beautiful weekend. So we have a lot of great things happening. My son is um, doing his first communion, which was delayed because of COVID. We're going to do some family events this weekend. Just, you know, some pumpkin patch things and some apple picking and things like that. But I'm serious when I'm telling you about your mental health. Please, if nothing else, please take care of yourself. Have a good weekend. We will be back next week with the episode with my husband. But again, I felt it really important for us to have this moment now. Because 
whether I'm married and have a relationship and we can talk about what our ins and outs are and I'm sure that's going to help another couple the reality of it is as an individual even in a marriage or in a committed relationship or just by yourself if you can't get your mental health together none of these things around you matter no matter titles don't matter what you have don't matter what you don't have won't matter you do matter so take care of yourself have a good week Remember, you can catch me on um, all social medias at Toy Time Blog. My blog itself is at www.toytime.org. And we will chat again. Have a great weekend. Thank you as always for joining me. And I know that even in the deepest or joyful conversations, that there's something we can learn and apply. Until next time, I hope that you are doing better. If not, we will be back to talk some more and handle it. Peace to you and yours. Stay grounded.